world. Welcome along to the Property Academy podcast by Opus Partners. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And today on the show, we've got another case study Sunday, and we're so pleased to be joined in the studio by Anita and Tim, who have come down all the way from Porirua up in Wellington. Anita and Tim, welcome along to the show. Thank you Thanks so guys. much Good for having us. Yeah. So let's kick it off. You guys are doing quite a bit as far as building up your wealth. Tell us a little bit about your kind of journey financially and, and the things that you're doing outside of property, first of all. Well, the big thing for us has been our business over the last sort of 13 years and really trying to grow that. So any spare cash has been pumped into that for the long term. So I think that's been our focus in the last decade or so. But it's only been recently that we started looking at property through the work that um, Neats has done. That's been our journey, I guess, in terms of investment outside of property. And so one of the things that I've learned in business is as you're growing a business, often you do require all your cash to go back and reinvest, particularly in your business, which requires equipment and purchasing equipment. What's been the trigger to now divert some of that money elsewhere? Just, I guess, spreading that risk out a bit, although we back ourselves in our business. It's, you know, it's, I think, obviously good to... to Diversify. Diversify, yeah, I guess. And, and, and we've been looking to do that for some time, but it's, um, as I said, it's a capital-intensive business that we're running. You keep growing and you think, right, this is us, this is a good spot, and then another opportunity comes up and the business keeps going, you know, and so it has sucked up a lot of cash, yeah. And one of those other things I know that you guys have focused on is paying down your own mortgage really aggressively. You've had some coaching around that to get ahead that way. Again, that's always one of those really hard things to grapple with. Do we pay down our mortgage or do we invest in property or other things? Where did you get to on that? I think for us, we wanted to wait for an opportunity where we had a bit of cash to go and make these decisions to diversify. So we had that opportunity last year. We had a liquidity event with our business, so we had the opportunity to then do something decent with the money. And that was when we sat down and made a new plan for our financial goals and wanted to look at diversifying through different asset classes. So that's when I started listening to podcasts and getting the information about where to from here. So I looked at managed funds and property obviously was a big one. And then just went deep dive into property and thought, well, for the long-term game for us, we're looking at 10, 15 years, so let's start somewhere. And then it was a case of going to our financial advisor that we had at the time, we still have, and how do we do this? What does it look like? Where should we direct the money and, and how much? So Anita, you were looking at managed funds, property, maybe some other options as well. What made you choose property rather than any of the other things you could have invested in? For us, it was a passive approach. So looking at property, in particularly new builds, the deposit requirement was lower. The tax deductibility was of interest. So we could uh, just approach a, a set and forget sort of aspect and not have to do a whole lot of stuff like the flipping was never going to be our sort of jam. Two kids, the young... Obviously, the business side of things keeps Tim really busy. We wanted that life balance. We wanted to just put the money away and think about it in 10, 15 years' time. Obviously, revisiting it every year to make sure that we're under the right fit in terms of each property. But yeah, a set and forget approach. And tell us about that mortgage that you paid off quickly, because this is a fascinating story. How big was that mortgage and how quickly were you able to pay it off? It was a huge mortgage. So we built a new home Six years ago now, and that was our, you know, we were looking at as a forever home to raise the kids and have the babies. We backed ourselves to be able to pay that off quickly through opportunities that were created through the business. And last year through that liquidity event, we were able to pay that off. And I guess we knew it would always happen. We 
just didn't know when, and we just had to hold out hope that it, it would eventually come to fruition. Well, we I'll thought, be excited for you because it was a seven-figure mortgage, right? And yeah. you paid it off in under six yeah. years. Yeah. And there were times there where things got tight, and we just we made sacrifices where we needed to. Obviously, there were years where we couldn't go on holiday and, and things like that. We made it happen, and we made those sacrifices. We finally, got to a point where we could pay it down and thought the red carpet would be rolled out from the bank. It was not. <laughs> yeah, well, the bank manager didn't give you a round of applause, but we yeah. will. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. Cheers. Loves the sound effects. And just coming back to one of the comments you made before. So you were working with a financial advisor. The way we're structured is we're financial advisors, and I know you worked with one of our team. And one of those challenges when you're dealing with, when you've got two girlfriends, is all of a sudden you can get two different parts of advice, right? And I think you guys had a, a quite a challenging moment in, in your property journey where you had conflicting information. And, and again, you know, not saying anyone's right or wrong, just that there's differing opinions sometimes in, in financial services. And how did you deal with that? Well, that was really tricky. Our financial advisor that we still use now, their approach was quite generic in that we'd use them right from when we started the business. And we had advice around, you know, how to ensure that our budget goals were met and that our mortgage was paid out and all, all those sorts of things. Got to a point where we had so much trust in this person, it was really hard to see, well, we're getting conflicting advice. Who who do we go with and how do we know what's the right decision? So I just thought that I needed a third opinion almost. And I said to Tim, I think we need to get someone that's unbiased, that knows what they're talking about, but I didn't want to go to a place where I had to pay someone. So it's actually quite a funny story. I felt like I needed someone else that could give me this advice. So um, I dropped the kids off at school one day and went down to my local cafe and lo and behold, there was Tony Alexander sitting in the corner of my local cafe and I plucked out the courage to ask him a question and said, because I knew that he, he knew both you guys and our other financial advisor and I thought, you know, I introduced myself and I said, look, what would you do? And he ended up giving me the advice that I think deep down I kind of already knew. It's like a GP in a specialist situation. I felt that our other financial advisor was quite generic in their advice and they really specialise in budgeting. And I knew that I needed to go with a specialist. In terms of property, we needed someone that had a lot of experience and really specialised in property itself, not managed funds, not budgeting, not anything else, but just property. So yeah, that's the opinion that he gave to me and thought, well, that's what Tony says and I'll do that. So one learning there could be that anytime you see Tony Alexander walking down the street <laughs> or maybe you hear him on the One Roof radio show, call up or knock up to him and ask yeah. for his opinion. Yeah. But what do you think is the learning there for, for people who might not accidentally run into Tony <laughs> Alexander at a cafe? What should people do with that choosing between advice? It was like divine intervention, really, seeing Tony there. I think to have a plan and to go and seek the professionals in that area, that's what I found was the most useful. Obviously, do your own research, and I found that through listening to your podcast, other podcasts, you need to just feel like you have the, the coaching and the support, and that's what was lacking through our other financial advisor. There was just, even though they were offering support, I just didn't feel supported. I didn't feel like there was guidance. I still felt like the journey I was going through with regards to property, I was doing it blindly, and that just didn't sit well with me. I knew that I needed someone to hold my hand, and I, I may have been a bit more needy than the average person because I, you know, I'm at home with the kids and I 
I have the time, I guess, that luxury to be able to deep dive on this sort of stuff, probably more so than the average person maybe. I don't know. But I just needed a lot more hand-holding and, and to feel like these decisions that I was making, you know, that involved hundreds of thousands of dollars, I needed way more help with that and and that's absolutely what I got with you guys. It was like night and day when I met with Kathy for the first time. You know, she had the properties through to me that she recommended. It all made sense. It was all within 24 hours and I just was like, wow, absolutely blown away. And I didn't know what the difference would be. I just thought that what we were getting from the other provider was normal. And it wasn't until I stepped over into your side that I just felt, wow, this is how it's supposed to be. And that's how it felt, which was great. Lucky you saw Tony, because I guess the question is, if we if you didn't run into him, what would we have done to get that sort of? I think I probably <laughs> I probably would have ended up going with you guys anyway. Gut, I think that's what my gut was telling me, and I just like I say, I felt supported in making those decisions, and it felt like the right thing to do. But I just yeah needed someone unbiased. And I love the fact that now Ed knows where Tony Alexander has coffees. He's going to be wandering <laughs> around there. Oh, Tony, fancy seeing you here again. At 10.30, the same time you come in every morning after dropping the kids off at the local primary school. I have seen him again since, so it's obviously his regular. Leave him alone now. Yeah, let him drink. Oh, I haven't. I haven't. Yet. Did he say he likes me or Andrew better? He asked who Ed was. <laughs> <laughs> Anita, is it true? No, no comment. He didn't actually mention you. Actually, I didn't mention you. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah, I said Andrew. Oh, I still know who you are. When I go and knock on his door tomorrow, <laughs> we'll see who he remembers then. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the kind of things that you have invested in. So we've invested a good chunk into managed funds. We obviously still have a lot of our shares within the business, so that's still the big chunk of where our investments lie and what we'll rely on through passive income in the in the years to come. Yeah, so it's property, managed funds and the business, and, you know, we might look to diversify out of that. Like I've been reading the Investor magazine that you guys sent. That was really interesting. Read it cover to cover, you know. Six months ago I wouldn't have been interested in that, but now it... It all resonates. It all makes sense. It's really interesting to me. So reading through that and looking at, you know, perhaps commercial property, you know, in the years to come and our goals are to obviously increase the property portfolio and the residential side anyway. Fourth three, so we want a fourth within the next year, hopefully, and then look between maybe five and ten from now until when Tim's 50. So that's sort of our big goal. So that we do have those options open to us, flexibility, so that he, if he doesn't want to work, he probably still will, then he doesn't have to, but we can choose how we manage our life and what the time that we have to put into our kids and things outside of that. And property-wise, you guys are based in Wellington. Have you been investing in Wellington as well? No. So obviously our owner-occupier house is there, but all the data and the information that I picked up from what I've learned so far is to diversify outside of where you live. And with all the, you know... Weather events and things that have been happening, earthquakes, that it, it really does make sense to just get out of where you live in because the last thing we want is obviously an earthquake anywhere, but if it was to affect our home and then an investment property, one or two, we'll probably end up with at least one in Wellington just because it makes sense with capital growth goals. But we've got one in Auckland and two in Christchurch, one in Rolleston and one in Armour Street near the city. So that makes sense in terms of diversification of location. And I think 
from again from what I've learnt, the main centres is what we should probably stick to. So that's likely what we'll do. And property types, have they been all the same or have they been different property types? They have been different. So obviously all of them are new builds or being built currently, but we've looked at one's a standalone in Rolleston and that made sense for that suburb. That's just what they build over there. The one in Armour Street is a townhouse, a two-bedroom, two-bathroom, which appealed. Obviously it's in a, a great location. One in Auckland, again, is closer to the central city and is a three-bedroom townhouse. So. They allow you to buy in a particular area at a certain price point. So we had a budget, of course, and that was sort of what Cathy had put together to say, look, these are going to tick quite a lot of boxes for you, and this is why. Again, I've been listening to the data, and it talks about how there isn't much of a difference between capital growth of a standalone versus a townhouse. So that's what made it appealing. And Tim, what's really interesting is... You've kind of left it either to go and spend a couple of million bucks on properties and, <laughs> and kind of said, this is your game, you go for it. What's that like or or what allows you, is probably the better question, what allows you to let Anita go spend a couple of million bucks on properties? Well, she let me go and spend uh, millions on scaffolding gear <laughs> and trusted me to do that in the early days. So I'm just trusting her to go on and do that part of it. I know that Anita's a, a detailed person. She likes to get right into and the degree of things, and she doesn't just go and make decisions without doing the research. So, fully trusted her to go and go and do that, and she seeked out all the advice she could. And she's in that in the office every night researching stuff, and that's so I knew that any decision that she made would be well researched and well informed. Very thorough. Yeah. Was it surprising to you, Anita, about the capital growth rates in houses and townhouses being so comparable? I that was one of the things that, as an investor, was surprising to me. It was surprising in, in some ways, but then in other ways not, because when you listen to all the information that you're, you're gathering, it just seems to make sense. The data, you know, all the stuff that you guys are putting out on your podcast just makes sense. You're like, this is the data and this is why, and it just clicks with you for some reason. Probably a little bit surprising, but yeah, ultimately it just all, all fit within that picture of that, that intel that I was collecting. I'm like, you know, I'd find myself, oh yeah, nodding along going, yep, that makes sense can see why. And you mentioned before that this is also Tim could eventually stop working at 50 if, if he wants to. So you're now retired, you're 50 years old, what are you doing with the rest of your lives? What are you guys going to be up to? Having choice I think is, is what we want, freedom and choice. And so I probably couldn't tell you what we're going to be doing with our time. Like you said, I, I like to be busy and I like getting up in the morning and having a goal and working towards a vision, whether it's in the business or personally. So probably still working, but I just think having that freedom is what we're after, yeah, to do what we like then. Yeah. I mean, we're like normal people. We like going on holidays. We like taking the kids on adventures. We like sharing with them what we got to experience pre them coming along. So we love taking them on holidays, but it's not all about holidays. Obviously, you can't do that for the rest of your life, so it's a balance. But just, yeah, like you say, being able to wake up and know you don't have to, you're not a slave to the, the nine to five. <laughs> well, for you, it's six to... Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. never ends. Um, Six to ten. Yeah, yeah. And with me being at home with the kids, that's been a really nice luxury. Again, we, we put off having kids for years so that we had those choices when we had kids that if I didn't want to go back to work, I could start doing things like this. It, just having that choice not to go back and the flexibility around kids because it's they're demanding. The whole timetable of having children is just next level and you, you can't appreciate that until you have them, so... And what do you think the one thing you've learned in this journey that you'd want to share with other investors? Have a plan. Have 
someone to guide you through that plan and then seek out the experts in their fields because, yeah, that's the biggest learning I've had, particularly with having two financial advisors. That has been the key for us. Have a goal, have a plan, and then work with someone to help get you there. Help have a strategy. Meet with them regularly to make sure you're on track, on target. Otherwise, you're just floating around in space and not ticking these things off, and it's really important. You just get to 40. All of a sudden, I'm 43. He's 41 almost, and you think, well, approaching our 10-year wedding anniversary, and you just wonder where that all went. And I would hate to think back to when we were married, or even prior to that, if we hadn't come up with a plan, we wouldn't be where we are today. It doesn't happen by luck. You've got to make sure you're focused and you continue checking in. I really like your point about using multiple financial advisors, but people who specialise in whatever they're good at. And I remember mentioning at dinner last night, Anita, that you mentioned that we've been working a lot with My Fiduciary, which is like a company that checks all our spreadsheets, makes sure that it's correct. And yesterday they were sharing with me their shares spreadsheet. And I thought we were pretty clued up. And sometimes we think we should start a share company. We should help people invest in managed funds. Anyway, they showed me their spreadsheet. So I thought, holy heck, this is so complex. <laughs> uh, you know, we've been doing property investment for 10 years. Opus Partners has been, been around and we're still not where we want to be yet. You know, we want to get make the advice even better. But I thought, holy heck, it's going to take me 15 years to become as sophisticated as they are. So I think a lot of financial advisors, really, we should all stick to our knitting at what we're really good at and, you know, specialise in that and give the best advice in that sphere. For sure, I would agree. And so finally, what's next on your property investment journey? As I say, I think I'm going to wait until these other two properties are built and the uh, first property down in Christchurch that had been finished, Armour Street, that's about to be tenanted in the next week. The other ones will be built sort of mid next year. So once they're all finished and got tenants in them, I think I'll look to obviously meet with Kathy again. I'm sure I'll talk to her well before then and look at what, what we can do, where we're heading for the next one. And then it's it's like, it's like year, a bug. One a, one a year for the next 10 years yeah. is, what, is that what our goal is here. Yeah. It's like a bug. Like when you start it, for me personally, it's been super exciting. It's been a lot doing three at once, like especially your first three. There's so much to learn and it's, you know, your head gets a bit tired after a while. But now that I've learnt how to do those first three and they've been so different each one, I feel like I've got the confidence to easily do the fourth. It's just a case of when, you know, when the banks will allow us to do that. How do I strategise with Cathy on what the next approach is and, you know, where do we start? It's, it's going to be super exciting. Awesome. Let's wrap it up there, but please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, including you, Anita, because you hadn't <laughs> done it yet. Really does help us get the message out to more people. And hey, if you want to come on for Case Study Sunday, send us a message on Instagram. We are at Opus underscore partners. listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Steve McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. We're going to be back here tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the New Zealand property market. Until next time.